Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, remember, uh, check out those swinging sounds. Support the people that support us. Click through on the Amazon banner and... Um, Download, uh, go to Dr.com and download the, uh, get on the contact list and download the series on the opium addiction and cancer that we have there. A lot of information. And uh, don't forget the Adam and Dr. Drew show. If uh, those of you who are not aware that Adam and I are together every day, check that out as well. And the family of pods at Dr.com. We appreciate your support. Very excited to welcome Dr. Stephen Gundry. Uh, the book is The Plant Paradox, The Hidden Dangers in Healthy Foods That Cause Disease and Weight Gain. I am fascinated by this. Um, let me give you your particulars before we get into this, all right? No problem. Okay. Dr. Gundry was chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda Medical Center, medical school. Uh, you currently own a clinic in Palm Springs. Is that a thoracic surgery clinic or is that a dietary clinic? It's actually a heart and lung clinic and also about half of my practice is autoimmune disease. Oh, interesting. So you're, you're not doing surgery presently? I dabble in it, but yeah, I, I am. basically teach people how to avoid me. <laughs> interesting. The theory is that lectins, a type of plant protein, may cause a certain number of autoimmune and other cardiovascular or cerebrovascular diseases. Uh, he has a line of supplements. You can check him out at GundryMD.com, G-U-N-D-R-Y-M-D.com. Twitter handle's at Dr. Dr. Gundry. And um, you will see why I'm kind of a interesting fan of the supplements because they're not your, they're not vitamins this is a whole different idea yep um dr gundry went to yale you were i was at amherst when you were around there at yale yeah. and uh, then we met a college at college of georgia and uh and then did your surgery where uh mostly at the university of michigan in ann arbor but also okay. at the nih and then over at sick kids uh over at uh, london and then you are oh, you doing children pediatric children, yeah. oh my goodness yeah Ugh, I can't do that stuff. <laughs> and, and then you came over to Loma Linda when? Is that where you were supposed to Yeah, I was or? recruited to join Leonard Bailey back in uh, 1989 when the baby heart transplant started. Oh, so you were pediatric cardiothoracic only? Both. Oh, you're doing both. Both. Oh, we're one of the few left that do both. Oh, my God. And how did you get interested in all this? What happened? How did you come upon this? Well, uh, my I had a special major at Yale back in the dark ages when we went to college where we could actually design our own majors. Oh, I remember those. Remember those? Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a thesis that I had to defend. And the thesis was you could take a grade ape, manipulate its food supply, manipulate its environment, and you could prove that you'd make a human being. Hmm. And that was my thesis. Hmm. And I defended it and got an honors and then gave it to my parents and went off to medical school and kind of forgot all about it. Hmm. And I became a very famous heart surgeon. And people would come to me who were inoperable, turned down by other places. And there's kind of a bunch of us in the country. So in in about 1999, 19, yeah, 1999, a 48-year-old guy from Miami, Florida, who is called Big Ed in all my books, um, was referred to me with inoperable coronary artery disease. That means... Everything's clogged up in no his targets. corner, no, no targets. targets, you can't put stents in, yeah. it won't do any good. And he had been going around the country, going to centers, uh, Mayo, Houston, Stanford, and everybody saw him and said, nah, yeah, nothing we can do for you. And so about six months into this journey, he arrived in my office carrying his angiogram from Miami, the movie of his heart. And I looked at it and I said, you know, I don't like to turn anybody down, but I got to agree with everybody else. So there's nothing I'm going to do for you. And he said, yeah, that's what everybody says, but here's the deal. 
Uh, in the last six months, I've been on a diet. I've lost 45 pounds. Now, this guy was 265 pounds when I met him, uh, hence the name Big Ed. Mm. And he says, and I've gone to a health food store, and I bought all these supplements, and I've been taking these supplements. Maybe I did something to my heart. In a good way. In a good way. And I went, well, you know, good for you for losing weight, but, you know, that's not going to do anything in here. And I know what you did with all the supplements. You made expensive urine, which I firmly believe. Yeah, or stool. (laughs) Was he... was he on pharmacological agents? Was he on statin or anything else? Yeah, or, he was. Yeah. He was all on statins. Stuff. Yeah, all the usual yeah. stuff. Um, but so he says, "Look, you know, come all this way. Everybody's turned me down. Why don't we get another angiogram?" And you know, I'm going, "Oh yeah, sure." Um, and I kind of sighed and I said, "Eh, okay. Let's take a look. Let's take a look." So we get an angiogram the next day, and she, this guy's cleaned out fifty percent hmm. of the blockages in his coronaries. Now, he still had blockages, but now there were places to land bypasses. And, you know, I was delighted as a heart surgeon, so I took him to the operating room and I did a five-vessel bypass. And afterwards, the researcher in me says, hey. What know, happened? Yeah, tell, what was that? Yeah, what, what was that? Tell me about this diet. And he starts describing, you know, how he constructed his diet and about. Had he done some research or was it haphazard? No, or? it was actually, it was fascinatingly haphazard. Mm-hmm. Same with his selection of supplements. Mm-hmm. He just actually went into a health food store and started grabbing things off the off the shelf. And that part's intriguing too. So anyhow, as he's describing what he was doing, uh, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, this is actually my thesis from Yale. It's exactly what I, I said, you know, made humans humans and was the, you know, original human diet. And I called my parents who lived in San Diego and <laughs> said, hey, thesis. yeah, do you have it? And they said, of course, it's in the shrine here. <laughs> and I said, you know, send it up for it. Because quite frankly, I was 70 pounds overweight at that point, running 30 miles a week, going to the gym one hour a day and eating a healthy, pretty much vegetarian diet at Loma Linda. And when I arrived at Loma Linda in 89, I weighed 154 pounds. Mm. And when I met Big Ed, I weighed 228, mm. despite doing everything right. So strictly on veg- vegetables at that point. Yeah, and, and, well, you know, a vegetarian diet. Yeah, so yeah. I was eating cheeses and eggs. Yeah. and so um, Not vegan, vegetarian. Got no. It. And then I said, let me look at those supplements. And start going through the thing and. I'm famous for keeping hearts alive for 48 hours in a bucket of ice and that have been dead for an hour before we uh, took them out. And I put various things down the veins and arteries of the heart to kind of resuscitate them. And it never occurred to me to swallow the things that I was putting down the vessels. And Big Ed, several of his supplements, uh, we were using down the veins and arteries to keep the hearts alive. So I started taking a bunch of supplements, and I started sending my blood work up to the University of California, Berkeley, at Berkeley Heart Labs back then. And all sorts of things happened fairly dramatically over two months. Um, My high cholesterol went away. My prediabetes went away. My arthritis was so bad I used to wear braces on my knees to run. That went away. Could it all just be that you lost weight? No, because we could actually, turns out, what has happened over the subsequent 17 years is I can see when somebody is actually taking a particular supplement by what I see see on their blood work. Mm -hmm. We've actually published data that, okay, we asked people to go to Costco or Trader Joe's and buy 
grapeseed extract and pycnogenol and fish oil. And we can look at the flexibility of their blood vessels. And we can also look at what I call the stickiness of blood vessels, how attractive they are mm-hmm. to cholesterol. And then we ask them to stop it. And to stop the diet. No, to stop those supplements, those yeah, supplements yeah. alone. Yeah. And within a month, repeat the tests and they're back to their old way mm. and then reintroduce those supplements. And lo and behold, they become slippery and more flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you shown any cognitive benefits, cerebral vascular benefits? So, you know, we, we have a n- large number of people who – Brain fog is is clearly one of their issues. And anecdotally, we've never published on this, uh, one of the things that lifts is brain fog. Hmm. We see a lot of people referred to us with mild cognitive impairment or dementia. And we even have a whole chapter in the book, chapter 10, on the ketogenic plant paradox, where a lot of dementia that we're seeing in this country is actually coming from the gut and not directly in the brain. And if you want, we can chat about that. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Okay. So let's get to the theory. So um, obviously we have this epidemic of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And a few years ago, I was intrigued by a paper that suggested that Parkinson's isn't a brain problem, it's a gut problem. And you and I may remember that the Lewy body is the diagnostic feature of Parkinson's disease, and it's a dead neuron surrounded by a bunch of immune cells which um, are called microglia or glia. And glia, glial cells are the... Um, bodyguards of neurons. Neurons are the rock stars of the brain and elsewhere. And they are so important that they have their own handlers. So glial cells kind of nurture the the neurons and protect the neurons. So they notice that one of the problems of Parkinson's is uh, constipation. And they said, well, you know, maybe the brain's not, the motor neurons are not telling the gut to move. But they did some experiments in in animals and found in a Parkinson's model in rats that there were uh, Lewy bodies lining the wall of the intestines in Mm. the nerve cells. We have tons of nerves in our intestinal tract. So this is some sort of – So what's going on? So when – So whatever's going on in the gut's going on in the brain. Bingo. So leaky gut – which occurs, among other things, from lectins, that's how lectins work, allows not only lectins, which are foreign proteins, but also bacterial particles, which are called LPSs, um, lipopolysaccharides. Um, I don't swear, but in the book, I can't resist but calling them little pieces of shit because that's what they are. Uh, If our immune system lining our gut senses trouble, senses, bacteria, or foreign proteins, they literally start snipping away at neurons to protect them, and they eventually kind of uh, form a wall around the neuron, almost like circling the wagons for the attack. Mm -hmm. And the neuron actually starves to death. They do such a good job. That has now been proven in humans with transcolonic biopsies in Parkinson's that, in fact, Lewy bodies are in the wall of the gut. 
So the, the new prevailing theory is that Parkinson's begins as leaky gut and that information that the hordes are at the gate is transmitted to the brain. Why does it only happen in the, primarily in the very elderly? It doesn't happen in the very primarily. elderly. As you primarily. Know, we see um, it earlier and earlier, and that's the problem. It used to be a very elderly disease, but we now have men in my clinic in their late 40s and 50s with Parkinson's. And that's because our gut has become profoundly leaky compared to just a few years ago. And that's really part of the principle of the plant paradox. So go ahead. So the profound leakiness has developed why? Several factors. Yeah. And one, uh, one obvious factor is 50 years ago we began the idea that whole grains were good for us. Mm -hmm. And before then, uh, most societies had actually been throwing away the hall of grains, right. uh, eating white rice, eating you know, white pasta, white mm -hmm. baguettes. But the, a great number of the lectins are actually in the halls of, of grains. And so all of a sudden, we've started eating far more lectin-containing foods than, than ever before. Is it strictly whole grains or what else? So beans have some of the highest lectin content of any food group. Peanuts and cashews are not nuts at all. They're actually beans. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some actually really good data in monkeys, uh, rhesus monkeys and red velvet monkeys, that the lectin in peanut oil causes heart disease in these monkeys. And in the elegant experiments to prove it, they give these monkeys peanut oil and they all develop heart disease. Then they take a similar set of monkeys and give them peanut oil in which the peanut lectin has been removed, and they don't get heart disease, proving that, in fact, it's the lectin that's the problem, not the oil that peanut oil is. So that's one factor. Another big factor that's changed is, as you and I know, antibiotics are given for anything. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that most of the things that antibiotics are given for are actually viral infections right. and will have absolutely no effect. But Other than <laughs> screw up the gene, the, bio, the biosphere. Yeah, and screw up our microbiome. Uh, and what we didn't know when broad-spectrum antibiotics came out 50 years ago is that, sure, they'll kill you know anything that moves um, as long as it's a bacteria, but it'll also kill all the bacteria in our gut. And we were all naive enough to think that that really didn't matter. And you and I remember from medical school that poop was poop. <laughs> so we've, we've killed off this intense, diverse 10,000 different organisms. It's a, it's a tropical rainforest in our gut. And one of the things we've learned subsequent to that is that bacteria in our gut actually are one of the major defenses against lectins. There are bacteria that love lectins. In fact, there's a bacteria that loves to eat gluten, which is a lectin. And one of the humorous things about going on a gluten-free diet is that those bacteria that like gluten leave. They have nothing to eat, and so they can't survive. And then if you are gluten-sensitive and reintroduce gluten, it's actually a self-perpetuating prophecy because now you don't have your own, your friends to eat gluten and you'll be very sensitive to it. Mm. Yeah. So those are that those are two factors. The third factor 
and I could name a, no, a number, but I think we have to realize the effect that glyphosate, uh, the ingredient in Roundup, has had in probably being the final uh, nail in the coffin. Glyphosate was originally developed for GMO soybeans and GMO uh, corn, and the idea was it's a it's an herbicide and. It will kill any plant, but if you genetically engineer a plant to be resistant to the action of Roundup, then that plant could survive, but you could spray all the weeds around that plant and it would be a wonderful thing. And so we were assured that glyphosate works, Roundup works, by paralyzing the shikimate pathway that plants use to, uh, for cellular division and growth. And it does that. And we were assured that we don't have the shikimate pathway, uh, which we don't. And so we were immune to the effect of Roundup. Unfortunately, what we weren't told is that bacteria use the shikimate pathway to reproduce and divide. And so when you eat a glyphosate-tainted grain or bean, then you, your bacteria will be killed off. Recently, research from MIT has shown that glyphosate, in fact, is a direct cause of leaky gut, breaking the tight junctions between the cells in our gut. So what's happened to us is that glyphosate is no longer just used for GMO crops. Because can, of can it, you wash it off or is it a great it, question. Yeah. Uh, one would think that after it's been sprayed on a field of corn or a field of wheat or a field of canola or a field of soybeans or a field of beet, sugar beets, that after it's harvested, uh, fine workers would individually scrub all the glyphosate off. And, of course, it's not because it's harmless to humans right. and animals. So it's fed to all of our animals, and it then is incorporated into their flesh, and we eat it that way. But what's worse, it's in all our corn chips, all of our corn products, all of our wheat products, all of our oat products that have been conventionally raised, which is most of them. So it's no longer a GMO problem. It's actually any conventional food problem. And it's such a big problem. We now don't know, unfortunately, that most California wines are uh, full of glyphosate because mm. the weeds have been, have been in the fields. In fact, I was talking to a winemaker in Santa Barbara County a couple of weeks ago who is a biodynamic and organic for farmer, you know, the best there is. And he, we were looking at a map of where his vineyards are, and I, you know, kind of pointed now, uh, this vineyard, it doesn't say, you know, organic biodynamic. He says, well, interesting you should ask. We farm it the same way, but the two vineyards on either side of this plot, uh, they farm conventionally, and we can detect glyphosate uh, and other herbicides in our field because it blows over. Mm. And so there's actually several organic wines in California that have been identified as having glyphosate, mm. which is scary stuff. So we call them the seven deadly dis disruptors. And we've basically produced a perfect storm where I think uh, and have presented evidence at national meetings that lectins are, if you will, on the loose in a way they never have been before. I'm not sure I counted seven. I was skipping a bunch of them okay. in the interest of time. Okay. I mean, for instance, Advil and Aleve, ibuprofen, 
uh, drug companies, you and I remember when these were prescription drugs, mm-hmm. and we were actually told that we should never prescribe them for longer than two weeks. That's because the data that's available, anybody wants to check with Dr. Google, uh, the data from drug companies know that a single Advil or a single Aleve, ibuprofen or naproxen will be like swallowing a hand grenade on the wall of your gut. You will denude parts of your gut wall. And so many of my patients that I see have sports injuries and then develop an autoimmune disease hmm. because they've been told by their well-meaning physician to you know take a lot of ibuprofen and get through all this. And it was the ibuprofen that actually started the problem. And when we stop that and repair their gut, their autoimmune disease uh, is cured. So another thing that's happened is uh, Nexium and Prilosec and Protonics, the proton pump inhibitors, have changed our gastric acid. We're supposed to have acid in our stomach. It digests proteins, and one of the proteins that it helps digest are lectins. And without acid in your stomach, you get a full you know, frontal attack of lectins. But what's worse is without acid in our stomach, we have a completely different bacterial population in our gut because there's what's called an acid gradient that actually keeps really nasty bacteria down in the colon where they actually hate acid. But without acid in your stomach, we see those bacteria crawling up into the small intestine where they're not supposed to live. And there are so many people now with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that it all started because of the lack of gastric acid. Because, you know, Larry the cable guy said, uh, gee, you know, take a Prilosec OTC and you can have a corn dog without heartburn. Is, is SIBO one of these? Uh, junction issues, cellular junction issues, or no? You're talking about a separate it's, syndrome. It's a separate syndrome. Because we it's, treat that with antibiotics. Yeah, it's a, it's a bacterial yeah, overgrowth. We literally, yeah. yeah. We wipe them out. Yeah. Um, so it's anti-inflammatories. It's proton pump and a two antagonists probably, right? The histamine yep. blockers are bad. Uh, it is... The antibiotic excess. It's, it's an antibiotic it excess. Is the glyco, glyco, whatever the Gly, glyphosate. Glyphosate. Glyphosate round, is Roundup. Yeah, Roundup. yeah, Roundup's a lot easier to say. Uh, that's four. And then there's blue light, and it's not the blue light special at Kmart. It's the computer we, lights. It's the computer lights, and it's all of our fluorescent lighting. Blue lights uh, are useful because uh, they stimulate hunger, and we ate in the summer back in the good old days because that's when the food was available. And we didn't eat in the winter uh, when there wasn't any blue light because there wasn't any food. And so we had this cyclical eating pattern of kind of loading up in the summer and then pretty much fasting during the winter. And we've lost actually that three three 365 days a year now. It's summer. And what we've never what we haven't been able to do is have what's called mitochondrial flexibility mitochondria should literally every 24 hours shift from using glucose as a power supply to using a form of fatty acids called ketones which can plug into the krebs krebs cycle and be very efficiently used but 
if 365 days all you're burning is sugar and never going into a period of ketosis, you lose that flexibility of mitochondria. And as you know, one of the prevailing theories for particularly dementia is that the mitochondria in the brain no longer have the ability to have flexible choices in in burning fuel. Mm. And in fact, as you know, there's now very good evidence. It used to be just in men, but now also in women. If you have an elevated insulin level in your 50s and 60s, and about 80% of Americans have an elevated fasting insulin level, you can virtually guarantee that you will have memory loss beginning in yeah, your late 60s I, I and am, 70s. I am increasingly uh, convinced that central obesity and insulin resistance is a major mediator of all this stuff. And so I, I often wonder, you know, all these various diets and things that are out there and stuff, when people have success, they have success because they really are successfully eliminating the central obesity and reducing their insulin resistance and high insulin levels. Right. And yeah. there's um, there's actually um, a, a whole chapter in my book about the central obesity, I and others, think is actually because of leaky gut. And if you think about it, uh, 65% of our white blood cells or our immune system, our lymph nodes, are actually in our gut because that's kind of literally where foreign invaders are going to come across. And I like to think of it as if an army is under attack by the enemy, then we have to we have to keep the army supplied with fuel. And where are the fuel dumps and the storage dumps but in the site of action and that's in our gut. And the other thing that's fascinating is we – with an army, we have to ration food for the non-combatants, so we have plenty of fuel for the combatants. And what we see with insulin resistance is we actually ration calories to muscles who are the main consumers of sugar so that that sugar is available to our immune system. And so I think it's a two-piece process that we become insulin resistant in our muscles to fuel and store fat in our gut. As a heart surgeon, uh, and I use a lot of examples in the book, we know that people who have deposits of fat near their coronary arteries called epicardial fat have much higher rates of heart disease and coronary artery disease than people who don't have those deposits of fat. And I think, having looked at a heart for over 40 years now, that those deposits of fat are the exact same process that we see in the gut. There's mm. a battle going on sense. in the coronary arteries. So I think we've named five now. Are there two more to go? Yeah, two more to go. Uh, let me uh, reconnoiter here. Oh, yeah. Um, casein A1 milk. Um, no good. No good. It turns out. What about other caseins? So there's casein A2. That's casein. whey? No, no way. That's no, yogurt? So whey is what's left over yeah. after you uh, get the casein into cheese. Yeah. Uh, so uh, casein, the original casein in cows was casein A2. It's also the same casein in goats, sheep, and water buffalo. 2,000 years ago, uh, northern European cows suffered a spontaneous genetic mutation, and they started to make a protein in their milk called casein A1. 
Casein A1 is a lectin-like protein that is converted in our digestive system into beta-caseum morphine, which has a, will promote a direct attack on the beta cell of the pancreas. And there's some actually very interesting literature that shows that type 1 diabetes or juvenile diabetes may have a strong correlation to casein A1. There's a new study coming out of China about that. And casein A1 cows are hardier. They get more milk. So that almost all of our cows in America and North America are the wrong breed of cow. They're still present in Southern Europe, in France, in Italy, in Switzerland. Again, the normal protein uh, is casein A2 is present in goat sheep and water buffalo. The Holstein cow, the black and white cow, is is a casein A1 cow. Hmm. Uh, Jersey cows are half A1 and A2. Uh, Guernsey cows are A2 and a cute little cow called a Swiss brown. Elsie's was a, was a Swiss brown for those of us old enough to remember Borden's Elsie. So that's another actually thing that's happened in our diet. And then number seven? And then number seven uh, – give me a second. I always, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Transglutaminase. Holy mackerel. So gluten, if you're gluten sensitive, works its mischief by transglutaminase. In fact, you may or may know there's glutenataxia, which looks all the world like Parkinson's disease, but you remove gluten from the diet and the Parkinson's-like syndrome is cured. So transglutaminase is the active problem of why gluten, or act- gluten is actually a troublemaker in nerve transmission. In the advent of Wonder Bread and currently all gluten-free foods, the raising that yeast used to do and that gluten was capable of doing because it's a very spongy protein – Now it's used by the addition of transglutaminase. And so almost all breads are baked with transglutaminase. Almost all gluten-free foods, crackers, breads are baked with transglutaminase. And it doesn't have to be listed on the label. Transglutaminase is GAS, generally recognized as safe, GRS, sorry. And so it's totally approved and doesn't have to be listed on a label. And... I think part of the problem that I see and others see in people with true celiac disease, as I point out in the book, there's a study that was done over a 16-month period taking over 400 people with biopsy-proven celiac disease. Non-whipples. That's the gold standard. So just uh, uh, idiopathic celiac. Yeah. And putting them on a gluten-free diet rebiopsing them after 16 months on a gluten-free diet, and over 70% of them had still positive celiac by biopsy despite following a gluten-free diet. Hmm. And that's certainly my experience in my clinic. Uh, I see a number of people who are gluten-free. They still have markers of leaky gut celiac. And it's when we take their other gluten-free products away from them, which actually contain worse lectins, like in corn, like in quinoa. Well, that's what I want to get into. Where, where, else, where are these lectins hidden, other than what we discussed so far? 
Yeah, so they are the plant defense system, one of the plant defense systems. What is the molecule? What does it look like? It, um, we actually, we, we did a podcast recently. It, it almost looks like, if you want to think about a, uh, of a Pac-Man, it's actually a very round molecule. It looks like an enzyme. And it's an enzyme. Yeah. I mean, it's a protein, sorry. Yeah. But it's a very uh, twisted protein like we now realize most proteins are. Yeah. And what it does, this was worked out by Dr. Fasano from Johns Hopkins a few years ago. He discovered that lectins bind to a receptor on, among other things, the wall of our gut, on to the enterocytes. Okay. And it flips a switch, and the enterocyte produces zonulin. And zonulin then hits another receptor, and what zonulin does is break the tight junction that holds all these cells together. And people kind of want to visualize tight junctions. Uh, you isn't, and this, I, isn't what they, they, get, they surmise gluten does too? That's what gluten's a lectin. So this is that's the, how it that, works. This is that mechanism. That's, yeah, a, that's I, the mechanism. I, okay. Yeah. So, so you're you're broadening that mechanism mechanism out to other parts of the gut to other lectins right. and to other tight junctions. Correct. And go ahead. You were going to describe tight junctions. Yeah. So tight junctions, uh, you're, you and I are old enough to remember a game called Red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> where you had two lines of kids and we all locked arms and the idea was to run across and break through the, through the arm. And Marco Polo. Yeah, and Marco Polo. <laughs> and kick the can. Um, and uh, the current young generation doesn't play these games. games. I know. Um, They're not outdoors. <laughs> but almost all cultures have red rover as, uh, as a game so anyhow so we're all bound together so these tight junctions are these cells locked together literally arm in arm and so what lectins do and again gluten is a lectin is flip a switch and break that tight junction so now all of a sudden you've got an impenetrable barrier that's actually only one cell thick mm-hmm. your our gut lining is the same surface area as a tennis court it's only one cell thick. And so these guys are all held together, locked arms in arms, and then along comes lectins, which break those apart. And now what happens is lectins, which are a foreign protein, can get through the gut wall. But equally as important, bacteria and bacterial cell walls, like LPSs, also go through. And then on the other side of your gut wall is your immune system, which is your border patrol. And the border patrol basically goes, oh, my gosh, you know, we're being invaded. Uh, We need to sound the air raid sirens. We need to go to threat level five. We need to scramble the fighter jets. And we need to go to war. And so that warfare occurs not only in the gut, but it occurs anywhere within us. Um, So lectins have been shown to bind to sugar molecules in our joints. Interestingly enough, experiments have done on human beings taking joint fluid and looking at it under the microscope, and you can actually see these LPSs in the joint fluid. Now, they're pieces of bacteria. They're not living bacteria. But our immune system can't tell the difference mm-hmm. between a piece of bacteria and a real bacteria. So we actually create inflammation inside of our gut, thinking that we're fighting bacteria. Our friends at Purple Mattress, uh, we are literally switching mattress by mattress in our household to purple. We love them. They feel different than anything you've experienced before because it's a brand new material 
actually developed by a rocket scientist, not the memory foam you're used to. It is just it's light so you can tuck it. It's comfortable and it supports you in all the right places. feels unique. It's both soft and firm at the same time. So it keeps everything right where you want it. It's breathable, so it sleeps cool. And there's a 100-night risk-free trial at Purple. If you're not satisfied with your Purple mattress, you can get a full refund. And it's backed by a 10-year warranty, which you'll, you'll want that because you'll keep it. And you'll want it for 10 years, believe me. Free shipping, free returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, for our listeners, you'll get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just go to purple.com. Use the promo code DREW at checkout. That is purple.com, code DREW, D-R-E-W. The only way to get the free pillow is use that code DREW at checkout. Go to purple.com, code DREW. You will not be unhappy. You will be as happy as we are. We're going purple. All right, Hydrolite, everybody. You know how I feel about them. This is uh, the leading rehydration product. There's a proper way to stay hydrated with the proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. And Hydrolite does this better than any sports drink or water alone. In fact, Hydrolite is the best oral rehydration product I have tried or seen. I wanted to invent this very product. Particularly, I like those effervescent tablets, which you just put in a bunch of bottle of water, and you've got it, and you're ready to go, and it's a little fizzy. And I wanted to develop this, but they got there first, so I'm behind them all the way. They have orange berry, lemonade. It's all either pre-mixed, powder, or, again, those tablets. Compared to sports drinks, Hydrolite delivers four times the electrolyte, 75% less sugar, appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Find Hydrolite at Rite Aid or Hydrolite.com. Again, it's H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E.com. Use the code DrDrew18 at checkout, D-R-D-R-E-W-18. So it's Hydrolite.com slash D-R-D-R-E-W-18. Again, use the code D-R-D-R-E-W-18, and you will get, for a limited time, 30% off your purchase. One of the most crucial components of addiction recovery is accountability and what makes uh, – the only the – only, well, the way to think about it is this. The only way we have to assess accountability, the only objective lab test we have is urine toxicology. That's all we got for this disease. It's problematic in outpatient recovery or pain management programs to follow the urine because they try to ensure compliance with the urine, but they often are not observed. People bring in products that adulterate the urine. This led to an epidemic of falsified results patient sometimes even using other people's urine or there's a widely available synthetic urine i bet you didn't know that but there it is the result is that lots of addicts carry right on using and the team doesn't know it and so they think they're having success in recovery and in fact they are still in their disease they got to get off the drugs that's bottom line and recently i learned about a new solution that virtually eliminates the possibility of faking tests even in facilities where the urine is unobserved it's called Tox Protect, a DNA verified drug test and lab service that provides 100% sample authenticity. Tax Protect was created by Genotox Labs. It can be used in place of any standard urine drug test. It starts with a one simple cheek swab, one time cheek swab, to establish the patient's identity. That's how they test the DNA and make their DNA, you know, make sure the DNA in the cheek matches the DNA in the urine. Additionally, Tox Protect screens for synthetic urine and irregular values that would indicate dilution or adulteration guarantees accountability pretty much i'm excited to see this service being used and i think it can significantly improve the chances of success in treatment i'm going to be talking more about genotox labs and tox protect on future shows thankfully tox protect is being used by more and more facilities every day be sure to ask for it by name wherever you or your loved one is receiving care to get more information or share it with your facility go to drdrew.com slash tox protect and that's my site drdrew.com slash tox t-o-x protect if you like my show, you're going to love the Natalie Ava Marie show on Podcast One. 
The former WWE and Divas star, along with husband Jonathan Coyle, team up to deliver one-of-a-kind opinions not heard anywhere else. They have lots of guests, including celebrities, influencers, activists. Get ready to be informed, intrigued, and entertained. Check out the Natalie Ava Marie Show every Wednesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So I'm tr- I'm trying to follow all of this. So because I'm thinking about the, um, the the uh, we're talking about the small bowel, right? We're talking about the columnar. Talking stomach. about small bowel and yeah. the colon. And, and so there's how do they get through the basic basement membrane? Well, uh, remember these are all microvilli. And yeah. so that's where our surface area comes from. Right. So the basement membrane is actually totally permeable to these things. Plus, I mean, one of the things that I think is uh, the worst thing that's happened to us is there there is a lectin, which is a small molecule called wheat germaglutinin, which does not need a leaky gut to be absorbed. And wheat germaglutinin has been shown in very good studies to bind irreversibly to insulin receptors on fat cells and actually continuously pump sugar into fat cells. Hmm. And it's also been shown to bind to receptors on the wall of our blood vessels and prompt a inflammatory response because it's a foreign protein. Now, now the, the lectins, though, are responsible for unlocking the tight junctions. Correct. Why are they also responsible for immune activation, say, in a joint? Great question. This was first proposed by Professor Lauren Cordain at Colorado State University, who's the father of the paleo diet. And he suggests, and I agree with him, that lectins have a molecular pattern, and let me back up, all foreign proteins, actually any foreign material is identified by our immune cells by uh, basically scanning devices, um, same sort of things as scan at a checkout. And they are barcode scanners, and every protein, every foreign substance has a particular molecular barcode that is viewed as foreign or we know this protein. The These barcode scanners are called toll-like receptors in the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2012. And this is an immune mechanism? Yeah, it's an immune mechanism. Well, so, how, how does it I, – I mean, let me just – I mean, if I can interrupt. I mean, it's all going through the portal circulation into our liver and getting broken down into amino acids. How no. How does the immune system see it? So that's if we absorb food as single proteins, single fats, or single sugars. But the vast majority of things that get loose in our gut goes through the lymphatic system oh, and completely bypasses. And the lymphatic system, okay. of course, well, is our immune system. Well, that's back to the basic membrane stuff, too, because that's, that's right, right along the edge there. So. Exactly. Okay. So these toll-like receptors uh, light up and say – uh-oh, you know, this guy's in the no-fly zone, uh, his passport's invalid, he's on the list. And we're going to educate our immune system to be on the lookout for any protein that looks like this guy. Sure. Okay, so in Professor Cordain's theory, which I agree with, lectins look like other proteins in our body. And they look remarkably like synovial membranes, they look remarkable... Remarkably like thyroid uh, 
tissue. So you're getting cross-reactivity. You get cross-reactivity. And it's called molecularly molecular mimicry. Now, why do I believe him? Because three months ago, I gave a paper at the American Heart Association and Epidemiology and Lifestyle Medicine Conference in New Orleans, where we took our initial 102 patients with biomarker-proven autoimmune disease. What kind? Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. So many different illnesses. Crohn's disease, hmm. uh, ulcerative colitis. And we put them on our program for six months. At the end of six months, 95 out of the 102 patients were biomarker negative for their autoimmune disease. They were off of their medications. So that's a nice way. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Some of them were skinny. For instance, some of the Crohn's kids sure. gained weight. Yeah. Um, so, so what is the program? Let's talk about that now. All right. So, so what, what, what do we do? So what we what we ask you to do? And what are the supplements that guys have? Because I'm I'm going to take some of the stuff, the curcumin and things. I'm interested. In. Let's keep going. Yeah. So let me. That's actually a great point. So most of the supplements that we think of as anti-inflammatory, like curcumin, mm-hmm. like turmeric. What the problem is, if, you've, if you're out on a lake and you get some holes in your boat or you're out in the ocean and water keeps coming in, you can grab a bucket and you can start bailing water. And if more water comes in, you're going to need a bigger bucket. Those are our anti-inflammatory armamentarium. All we're doing is bailing water. To my way of thinking, it's a whole lot easier to plug the hole in the boat and if lectins are making the holes and things like uh, ibuprofen are making the holes and antibiotics are preventing bacteria um, from protecting us, then what I want to do is seal the gut. And then, believe it or not, the anti-inflammatories are not that important once we seal the gut, once we get back to, to normal. So my program is different than other ones in that it's very anti-inflammatory, but it's anti-inflammatory because you've stopped the horde from coming across the gate. And that's the difference. In fact, um, just as an aside, one of the people in the book that I always get asked about, one of my early adapters was a guy called Tony who had pretty impressive vitiligo. Uh, vitiligo, for folks who remember, Michael Jackson suffered from vitiligo. You lose the pigmentation in the skin. And you and I know that uh, – there are melanocytes in our skin that give the color to the skin, and they're modified nerve cells that you know, migrate to the skin in, in embryonic life. So Tony was an early adapter, and he calls me up. He says, you know, he lives in San Diego, and he says, Doc, i got to show you something. So he comes up to the office, and his vitiligo is gone. Mm. And he says, what do you think about that? And I'm going – Wow. Uh, well, you know, this, I know this diet's really anti-inflammatory, but that that doesn't help. I said that's too flippant. I said let me let me think about this. So I, I went back to lectin research, and the original predator of plants were insects. And plants were actually here first. They had it really great before animals arrived. Nobody wanted to eat them. So when insects arrived, they had a predator. Now. Plants couldn't run, they couldn't hide, they couldn't fight, but they're chemists of incredible ability, as, as Michael Pollan's first book, Botany of Desire, was all about. So what they did 
the original purpose, I think, and others think, of lectins was to paralyze insects. By binding to sugar molecules between nerves, uh, sialic acid is the molecule, and if the insect was paralyzed, that's a good thing. And in fact, you can show on a tree that if insects start nibbling on the leaves of one side of the tree, within 10 minutes, the lectin content of leaves on the other side of the tree will start increasing. Mm. Plants talk to each other uh, and within each other. So back to Tony and his vitiligo. So I said, well, wait a minute. Melanocytes are modified nerve cells. And perhaps his body is attacking his melanocytes because of the of similarity to lectins. So um, that's actually what made me really say, holy cow, I think I'm onto something in terms of autoimmune diseases and lectins. And it's funny, it, we lost touch with each other, and uh, I saw him at a meeting uh, several years later, and his vitiligo was back. And I said, hey, you know, what's, what's the deal? And he says, yeah, you know, this is, this is pretty hard to do. Uh, I'm a busy guy. And I said, I'll tell you what, this is, this is a great experiment. Let's do it again. And uh, he says, you know, okay, I, I'm game. And six months later, he's all grown back. Uh, his his melanocytes have come back. Mm. So it's uh, he's a pretty neat, you know, experiment of one. And so what should we be doing? What's okay. The- so what I like people to do is I want you to get rid of all grains and pseudo grains. Or if you're going to eat grains, please use a pressure cooker. Pressure cooker will destroy all lectins except gluten. Uh, it'll it'll do it for buckwheat. It'll do it for quinoa. It'll do it for corn. I want you to get rid of all beans, but you can use a pressure cooker, and it's perfectly safe. In fact, there's one company that I have no affiliation with called Eden, just like Garden of Eden, that pressure cooks their beans, and they have BPA-free cans. Huh. So uh, some people, my critics say, I'm anti-bean. I'm not anti-bean at all. I'm anti-lectins. And traditional cultures have found ways to lessen lectins, like soaking beans and Mm -hmm. pouring out the water every four hours for for 48 hours is is fairly effective. Mm. Fermenting things is quite quite effective. Then there's another class of plants that are the nightshade families, the potato, the eggplant, the peppers, tomatoes, and believe it or not, goji berries are nightshades. Mm. The lectins are in the peel and the seeds. So if you really want to have these things, take the peels and seeds out or throw them in a pressure cooker. Mm. The other problem plants are the squash family, things like cucumbers, zucchinis, pumpkins. Again, the peels and the seeds are the trouble. And one of the things I do is I go around the world studying how cultures have figured out how to detoxify the plants they're planning to eat. Um, And, for instance, I was in the south of France a few months ago, and in a restaurant uh, for breakfast, they had peeled and de-seeded cucumbers. Mm. I was lecturing in Istanbul last year and had a salad that not only had peeled and de-seeded cucumbers, but peeled and de-seeded tomatoes. And I go, huh. That's pretty interesting. Interesting. And you have a product that blocks it, too? Yeah. Um, again, we know, actually, the sugar molecules that lectins are interested in attaching to. And my product's called Lectin Shield. And 
it's not a license to cheat, but if and some people like to use it for that. But if if I know I'm going over to a friend's house or I'm going out to dinner, and I'm not sure, so I just pop a couple of lectin shield. Now, some of my real autoimmune patients, I have them take lectin shields several times a day just as a precaution. And quite frankly, when I head over to Europe, I take about three jars of it over there because I know I'm going to cheat because I'm going to try. Uh, we drive into little bitty towns. So in you it. yourself are your own patient too. You, you. As a matter of fact, um, I presented myself as one of the 102 patients. Uh-huh. I, uh, when we first started looking at autoimmune markers, I have uh, I had anti-nuclear antibody, which is one of the main markers for lupus. And my my staff came running and said, "Oh my gosh, you know, Dr. Gundry, you have lupus." Mm-hmm. And you know, I said, "Oh yeah, that's pretty cool." And they go, "What? You're not worried?" And I said, "Well, my father's side of the family has horrible psoriasis, another autoimmune disease, and I we've had some remarkable recoveries of psoriasis." So I said, "You know, that doesn't surprise me a bit. Uh, this is fun. I'm going to." turn off this marker because, you know, I'd gotten a little careless. So two months later, my anti-nuclear, so my my titer was 1 to 160. So it's 40, 80, 160. So I'm about three-time level of activity. Two months later, strictly following my program to the letter, completely turned off, negative 1 to 140. I said, that's really cool. Let me see if I can turn it on. So... I cheated again, and two months later, it was back positive, and then I stopped cheating, and it was negative again. And we've actually seen this in 20 patients out of that 102 who, once they had become negative, either cheated or by accident were cheating. One one woman began eating cashews who had rheumatoid arthritis, and when I saw her, um, she was completely turned off, off her meds, and she had one marker that was coming up. And I said, you're cheating. She said, oh, no, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. You know, I'm off of all my meds. I said, no, 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 you're cheating. So we go through her list, and we get to cashews. She said, oh, my gosh, I forgot all about cashews. I've got a bag of cashews in the car right now. I've been on a cashew kick. And we could see it in her blood work. It's interesting. Yeah. So the the basic recommendation. So please, you know, so th- – it's it's really we're, easy to do. We're, we're good with dairy. Well, no, not milk. So not, not milk. A one. Any cheeses from goats, sheep, water buffalo, buffalo, mozzarella. We're, we're good. We're good. Any cheeses from France, Italy, or Switzerland. We're good. Um, you can have all the olive oil in the world. I personally think the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth. Sounds like we can have cruciferous vegetables too. Please have as many cruciferous yeah. vegetables. You can Lettuce. have. Lettuces, you yeah. can have asparagus, you can have celery. You and can, you've not put a pox on meats or cheese, meats or fish. So here's the deal. Use wild fish. Please don't get farm-raised fish or organic farm-raised fish. Organic fish are fed corn and soybeans that are organic. Mm. And you are what you eat, but you are what the thing you're eating ate. And if you're going to eat beef, please get grass-fed and grass-finished beef or lamb or pork. Companies are very clever. All cows eat grass for at least one day of their lives, and you legally can call it grass-fed and feed it in a stockyards almost all of its life. It's the same way with organic free-range chicken. 
the federal government in 2007 passed a law that said you can label, you can put 10,000 chickens in a warehouse, feed them organic corn and soybeans, never let them outside during their 10-week lifespan, except you have to open a door to the outside for five minutes every 24 hours, and the chicken has the ability to go outside if it wants to. That's the definition of an organic free-range chicken. Well, listen, we, we kind of have to wrap this up. I could listen to you talk about this. It's a fascinating area. And I, I do feel like we're hitting a time in medicine where we're uh, sort of trying to break out of our narrow molds of thinking about various aspects of human disease. And, and I, I, you, your theory came to me through many multiple highly recommended sources. The book is The Plant Paradox, The Hidden Dangers and Healthy Foods That Cause Disease and Weight Gain. We haven't really talked about the weight gain pace other than the insulin resistance. The weight uh, gain, we, real quickly, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. We fatten animals for slaughter with grains and beans. That is the only known way to fatten an animal for slaughter. And it's no surprise that in our grain and bean, particularly grain-centric life, uh, we fatten us up for slaughter. Uh, as you know, uh, Sanjay Gupta uh, had his hair analysis of for corn molecules, and corn has a particular carbon atom, a C4 carbon atom that's distinctive. And the average American, including Dr. Gupta, was 70% corn molecules. Hmm. The average European is 5% corn molecules. And believe it or not, since we didn't eat corn until 500 years ago. Corn is a foreign substance in us. And that's one of the lectins. That's one of the lectins. Uh, so Darn it. You want people to go to GundryMD.com, read more, look at the supplements. Uh, the, the clinic in Palm Springs? The International Heart and Lung Institute, and within it is the Center for Restorative Medicine. We're also in Santa Barbara. And the Plant Paradox Cookbook is now out. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for the last three months. Check out the Plant Paradox. I, I, again, there's uh, our our ideas about diet need to be carefully uh, examined. Uh, there's a lot of nonsense out there. That's for sure. Um, there's a woman, uh, Kate Shanahan. I listen to I, I listen to carefully because she's a biochemist and very astute about things. And her gravest concern is our change into the uh, from the tallow to the the fats, the polyunsaturated fats. That's another sort of issue that people need to keep an eye on. But there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that isn't really part of the common lexicon that people need to kind of think about and pay attention to. Yeah, no, agree? yeah, oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, pork lard, if you actually got lard from lard from pigs that ate what they were supposed to. Uh, pork lard has mostly monounsaturated fats, yeah. and it's it's oleic acid, the same fat in olive oil. Yeah, and we we've we've really done ourselves a disservice uh, in well, in, and we've it, developed religious intensity around ideas that either are wrong or are or at least needs reexamination or need liberalization or something. I, I, I'm worried about the religious intensity around some of our thinking. Well, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, uh, Stefan Lindeberg, who was uh, wrote an amazing book, and I, I recommend it to you. He, he passed away recently, but it's called Food and Western Disease. And he gives a, a wonderful lecture um, at the Ancestral Health S- Symposium. And he says, most food guidelines came about 
from a story and mm-hmm. not fact. Mm-hmm. And the story was perpetuated, like William Kellogg perpetuating the idea that whole grains were good for you. Well, and, that's and how and it stories, started. And I'm very skeptical about stories with biology because yeah. biology is not a narrative. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a soup. <laughs> and then he said the story then attracted money. Yeah. And he says, so when money gets a hold of a story, it's nearly impossible to stop. Mm. <laughs> Well, check it out for yourself, everybody. The plant paradox, the hidden dangers and healthy foods that cause disease and weight gain. It would certainly explain, if you adhere to some of these principles, why people going from diet to diet to diet are having varied success and certainly aren't feeling better. Oh, yeah. I was on every diet known to mankind, you know, the cabbage soup diet and the egg diet and the Atkins diet and the South Beach diet, and I was 70 pounds overweight. I could lose 20 pounds instantly and gain 25 back. And are you are you watching calories? No, or are you just, there's no calorie counts in anything. Yeah. And there's a beautiful new paper that came out this morning in humans that shows that, in fact, it's the gut bacteria that determines whether or not you will lose weight or gain weight with a certain number of calories. Hmm. And this crazy idea that calorie in, calorie out is what makes you know you gain or lose weight is absolutely positively wrong. It's so wrong it shouldn't ever be mentioned. The second law of thermodynamics does not apply to a human being that has six pounds of bacteria inside that's deciding what they want to extract from food and what to keep for themselves. And the complex brush border that's doing its own selection. Exactly. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate you spending time with me. I really do. And, and hey, I thanks hope for having me. Check the book again. Uh, Ethan Bierman, who we both know, is a friend of mine from KGO Radio, and he's he was he's he's uh, treating his daughter with diabetes with your diet, yeah, and having some success. We've got um, a former pro football player who I won't and his mention pre diabetes too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a type one diabetic. He he's now on the ketogenic program of, that I'm running. He runs a fasting blood sugar of thirty two. And is asymptomatic. He's fabulous. He's, he's just, using ketones. He's using ketones, Ooh, and he's not. Anyway. And he's not in ketoacidosis. There's so many myths out there. Um, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much. We'll see you all next Thank time. Thank you for calling times and topics. Follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D R D R E W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.